0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Anglers Happy Hour Podcast. In today's show, we talk about a variety of travel woes, delayed tournament takeoffs, snakes and crabs inside a rental house, and we sprinkle in a little bit of fishing info. Also, a quick heads up, it seems like Rob's mic was a little bit loud for like the first five, ten minutes of the episode, so we apologize for that. Hopefully it's bearable, and uh, I think we got it kind of ironed out for the rest of the show and moving forward. So, hope you guys enjoy the show. We appreciate you all listening. Thanks. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're a little bit late. We missed last week, and hey, actually, we're even a couple days late this week, but we're really thankful that you guys waited around and uh, are tuning in. To listen to us again this week, and um, it's just it's great to be talking to everybody. we haven't caught up much off the side because we wanted to wait and uh, do it once we were recording, but we've got a bunch to talk about this week and uh, Rob let's start with you man what uh what are you up to right now what are you doing this morning man
1: uh, I'm just anxious to hear what you guys have been up to I know what Josh has been up to i've seen a few pictures of what uh, Nick's been up to um, as far as fishing on my front it's pretty slow over here haven't done a whole lot um hoping to get after it but as soon as i'm i'm ready to get after it, it's 118 degrees here so it's hard to get motivated <laughs> to do that so uh it's that's so that's, that's about all i have other than uh i'm anxious to hear what you guys got going on
0: that's cool it was like coming back to an oven yesterday when i when i got off the plane dude and yesterday was only 105 104 it's about to be Ridiculous here over this next week here in in Phoenix, man. Yeah,
2: yeah all I sure. have to say about that is uh, at least you guys have air conditioning.
1: Are you living down there without air?
2: Oh, yeah. dude, of course. Whoa. air conditioning is a is a sporadic and random luxury.
1: How about swamp coolers?
2: Uh, well, there's a swamp condition occurring regularly on my body, but I wouldn't call it a swamp cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious! I understand that one, Nick. I understand
0: that one. What yeah, is your, I know it's a family podcast. Like, let's let's describe your setup for for us and the listeners. I
2: didn't ask you because I wanted the listeners to hear too. What's yeah, thanks, Dad. Like? So so today is the well tomorrow will be two weeks official since I have become one hundred percent Mexican and we've been here for two weeks now. And i uh, 100% Mexican. Yeah, this is, I've been adopted by the people and uh, I'm, I'm now officially, I'm getting knighted soon, I'm excited for that. <laughs> and uh, no, so our, you know, our travel day down here, I kind of painted the picture of the Conestoga wagon train of all of our suitcases, trying to navigate that, you know, it went really good. Um, COVID, I think, has everybody real itchy to travel, so it uh, was mind-numbingly busy in every airport we encountered. And Josh, I know you experienced some of the COVID log jam flying home from uh, all of your fishing adventures too. But uh, yeah, we got here uneventfully and we're staying with my wife's uh, grandma in a very urban part of Leon, Mexico. And they have a nice house here. Um, It's pretty cool. There's nine of us staying in this place. So finding a quiet little corner to talk to you guys was a little challenging, but it's cool. Um, What I like about it the most actually is, is that I sent you guys this picture, but Mexico kind of reminds me sometimes of probably what the United States was, maybe like in the fifties or sixties before all the commercial chains took over all the commercial real estate. So like on every corner you have a Applebee's and a Chipotle and a Target here, it's like mom and pop shops everywhere. So right across the street from where we're staying is this amazing ice cream it's called a palateria oh wow and like there's an ice cream place and then they have stores called abarotes and it's kind of like a mom and pop version of a circle k so like we have one of those and then there's a a couple of bomb taco stands up the street and we got like a place where they sell fruit and like fresh squeezed juices and it's been pretty sweet honestly i uh really enjoy it. But as someone who has never lived in the middle of an urban environment, like I think my noise canceling headphones are hopefully doing a decent job, but like every two seconds, a semi-truck or the Coca-Cola guy or the loudest motorcycle in the state of Guanajuato drives by and like just full throttles it. (laughs) So like learning how to sleep through that and like, it's just, it's like stimulus overload, man. It's, it's pretty cool. But then like at the same time, we're all just like, drowning in sounds. It's nuts. Like right now, you probably didn't hear that, but I just heard the air brakes of probably an (laughs) 18-wheeler from 1940. The other thing that's cool too is that everything is like super vintage. So as a car enthusiast, I'll see like Kenworth's go by and I'm like, oh my God, that thing is three times my age, but it has like updated LED headlights on it and it's got like chrome mud flaps and stuff. So pretty pretty interesting for sure.
1: How far Uh, south are you?
2: A good way is, dude, we're like right smack dab central. So Mexico is kind of shaped like a funnel that's bending down into the right. We're like right smack dab in the middle of that thing. So 36 yet, hours by bus. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, so where we're staying is pretty cool. We kind of got our feet wet and uh, um, we actually rented a van because my wife's family is split up across two different parts of the city here. And, uh, it's pretty far. It's like the equivalent of us driving from, you know, we all live on the East side of Phoenix driving into central Phoenix. So it's like a 45 minute drive. So this time we thought it'd be a good idea if we rented a van and let old Nikki get behind the wheel and drive with the locals. And I was sure to buy the uh, full comprehensive coverage insurance policy on that. Cause I might've acted like I was confident, but deep down I was a scared little child and, uh, We had that for a week and, uh, man, I was just, I kind of felt like the guy who's in the little John boat while the huge wake surf boats go around him on the lake. as he's trying to like fish and he's just getting thrown everywhere. That was me entering those roundabout intersections where there's like four lanes and no stoplights and people crisscrossing and everything. And, uh, Nothing happened though thankfully we uh, we kept it shiny side up, and we we kept all the black paint on the van and didn't share any with anyone else and that was a gift. any close calls I'm sure oh dude, so we went to this place, so it's actually where I met my wife fourteen years ago is this really cool small colonial city about an hour from here, and so we took a field trip and showed showed my kids I you know I'm inappropriate and My eight and six year old, I was telling them all sorts of inappropriate things about how I met their mother and like what I did. And I was probably, I was giving them all the, you know, I kept it somewhat PC, but I also wanted to make them feel uncomfortable. So we went to this city and, uh, you know, it was, it was founded in the 1500s. It has cobblestone streets. The buildings are stacked on top of each other. Everything's a one way. And so I'm rolling around in this Kia Sedona minivan, trying to find a parking garage. And I sent you guys the video of these streets. And this was the pinnacle of my bad driving stress. I turn into this parking garage and instantly there's four other cars right behind me. So there's no backing out. And it's got this hairpin turned to the right that is gonna take like, I didn't think it was even gonna fit, but it took seven tries of backing up and then going to the right, and then backing up to the left. And it wasn't even like the curb was a three-foot vertical edge of concrete, and there was no forgiveness, dude. It was just the wall of the parking garage. And it took me 10 minutes of just like beaded sweat, white knuckle, swamp cooler conditions down below the belt, if you know what I'm saying, of just stress. And I got it through the, the opening of the parking garage, and then I had to go up the twisties as I climbed to like the fifth level And each one was like that, dude. I was like, I'm never getting out of here. Like, I'm just going to walk away and eat this minivan and we're going to catch the bus back to where we're staying. But we survived. Life was good. What the heck? Like, what kind of vehicles do people have
0: out there if you can't get a van into the parking garage, man? Do, Do people drive a lot of compact cars or what?
2: That's it, dude. Yeah. So everything is small. Like, they still made the Volkswagen Beetle, dude, the old school one for a long, long time down here. So like, that's definitely the car of choice. And then you see like a lot of stuff that we don't make in the States, even though it's the same auto manufacturer, they just build small stuff. It's like, have you ever seen pictures of Europe, they cruise around in like the tiniest little cars. That's what everyone rolls around in. So
0: typical America, just excessive and more, more than we need on our vehicle front as well, huh?
1: That's why we're hated worldwide.
2: (laughs) 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 Bigger is always better. But I'll yeah. tell you what, dude, the bus, cause everyone, you know, bus is still a big thing, dude. The buses are getting it done through those tiny one way streets. The buses are stick shifts. Those guys are going up and down hills and around those corners, shifting gears. Like those are the true badasses.
0: Interesting. Yeah. We were talking about F1, dude. Dude, D1, I think those guys could Mexico, just fill one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> dude, no doubt. But uh, it was pretty sweet, man. Then we, journeyed over to the beach and finally got a little fishing done and I sent you guys pictures of that but wow what an adventure that was it was awesome
0: you want to jump right into that how about we we break our fishing trips up um let's like do that our too, yeah. listener feedback and then we'll, we'll break down the uh the rooster fishing and then the chickamauga stuff a little bit Love later it. does that sound good hell yeah okay cool so um how was the how was the beach trip before
2: we go into the fishing how was the the actual beach time <laughs> it was great man that uh was interesting because we've never i i'd never been there and uh it wasn't like the type of beach that you just take a bunch of little kids and they just bring their sand toys and sit on the beach because it was like open pacific ocean apparently it's a real popular surfing destination so the waves were big and the the ocean was strong but uh, we stayed in a really nice airbnb that had a pool and uh yeah man we had a great time it was Relaxing and uh, nobody drowned, and I didn't have to drive, and a few beers were consumed, and life was pretty good. That's so, crazy. what part of Mexico was that? So, again, going back to kind of the funnel reference, if you were in the middle and you went due west, that's where we okay. were. So, on the Pacific Ocean side, uh, about halfway down. Gotcha. In the what's state the- of Guerrero. What's the best food you've had down there? I know you're
0: talking about the taco
2: stands. Like, would sounds nice, like that's dude. tough to beat, but what else? Dude, it is tough to beat, but man, we had a little birthday party. Well, not a little birthday party. There was like 120 people there for my uh, youngest and oldest because their birthdays are pretty close. And Dude, my wife's aunt made this. It's uh, something that you see in Arizona and other places in the United States. It's called Adovada, A-D-O-V-A-D-A, and it's like a red sauce over pork. Tell you what, man changed my life i ate that and uh, i don't know i'm i grew a bigger mustache and it was life-changing so that was pretty delicious um and when i get into the the story of the rooster fishing um a little spoiler on that the food this is something that needs to be adopted everywhere like you, you meet your guide in the marina and outside of the marina are these two sweet little ladies selling homemade uh food to take on the boat with you that day and dude they Tortas is a is a Mexican sandwich where they make their own bread and then like you pick your fillings for it. And dude, I had a torta filled with mole, which is like a a gravy that they make with a bunch of stuff over chicken. Oof. Tell you what, I could eat that every day for the next twenty years and not get tired of it. It was so Man. good.
0: In that setting too, I can imagine that's probably the best uh, on the boat meal you'll
2: ever have in your life. It was, and then there was a sad, tragic ending to my second torta that. Will come out in the fishing story, oh, no. but uh, I got to enjoy one delicious torta in its native environment, natural state. That's great, man. Virtual so, yeah, it's been, it's been a great adventure, dude. Catch, catch us up on you, man. It's been a long time.
0: Well, yeah, you know, and I'll go into the tournament here in a little bit. You know, last episode, I was getting ready to go to Chickamauga. So, I fished that tournament, went fairly well. Um, and then I, I drove up to New York dropped my truck and boat off in Syracuse, then flew back to Dallas, worked the Classic Expo for three days, and then came home. Everything went smooth. The tournament went smooth. My trip to New York went smooth. Trip to the Classic went smooth. The Classic went smooth. And then all I had left on my journey after being gone for two weeks was a two-hour flight, direct flight from Dallas to Phoenix done it a million times and we all have i mean it's it's the easiest a, it's a tap ever. in right it is absolutely you just <laughs> and you you pass out and fall asleep and, and you're back home and it's easy well the expo ends at four o'clock on sunday and i gotta get to the airport my flight's at eight there's gonna be a lot of rush hour i take an uber over and i've got a, a really interesting but very cool uber driver get a lot of interesting stories over the hour drive over to the airport. I get there and check in. It's all good, dude. So I'm sitting at the gate and, uh, you know, I'm lining up my ride um, to get back to my house. My mom is actually going to pick me up and bring me back home. And I'm telling Chantel that I'll be home to see the kids right before bedtime. Well, the gate changes start. And I'm going to say, uh, uh, you know, Nick, I know you dealt with it. Everyone that's traveled, the airlines are, they're just, it's just up a right hot mess, now, dude. It's oh. It is. But the gate changes start and at <laughs> DFW. I mean, it's one of the biggest airports in the country, if not the biggest airport in the country. And when you get a gate change, a lot of times you change your terminal. So you're having to get on that tram. So dude, I literally have like four or five gate changes and like, three of them took me to different terminals. So So
2: you had to ride the tram.
0: Yeah. I was like, I'd settle in and then have to get on the tram and go to another terminal, (laughs) settle in. And and dude, by the time like we get a few of these deep, everyone that's on the flight is like, (laughs) what in the world? So then comes the first delay and you know, they're coming up, they're like coming up with all the excuses like, Oh yeah, there's (laughs) weather, you know, elsewhere. And then all of a sudden, like we get a second delay. So the first delay takes us back from, eight o'clock to 10 o'clock. It's not the end of the world. We've all dealt with it, but then they go back to ten fifty three, and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, we're actually one short of a full crew and we don't have a first mate <laughs> and, uh, or I don't know. A first, is it a first, mate? whatever it's what called
2: flight attendant, whatever uh, that was. Yeah. Is. Whatever
0: the, the backup pilot is. So okay. they, they back it up again and again. And all of a sudden you realize like, this is not looking good. Like this is probably going to get canceled and it's late enough now that there's no more
2: Nowhere to stay.
0: flights to be had. You know, it's, it's already midnight. So sure enough, it's like, you know, 1250. Dang, you're 1 a.m. And they finally cancel the flight. And <laughs> I go to everyone, like, rush to get in line at customer service. And the customer service line is 1,000-plus people deep. It's not just our flight. <laughs> it's all the flights. American. Oh. So they have been coming up all these lies about what's wrong with just our flight. But – the whole there's like an entire system failure in one of the biggest airports on a busy weekend, man. The classic was ending. There was a uh, uh, the NASCAR all star race or something going on. So dude, it's a busy weekend at DFW and huh. uh, I just was, I just went on Delta on, on, on my phone and booked a Delta flight and got out of the American terminal as fast as possible. Smart. And, uh, so I, I end up having to sleep in the airport because my next flights at 7am so and I had never slept in an airport, dude. I know everyone's experienced it traveling before, but I'm like, well, whatever, it's not worth going to a hotel for three hours. So I'm sleeping literally on the floor at this uh, gate that I'm going out of in the morning. And I mean, I sleep sleeping, I never slept, right? I'm just miserably laying <laughs> there for five hours, I never sleep. I'm grossed out the whole time that I am sleeping on the airport floor, you know? And, uh, the next morning I get up and I'm starting, I I wander around trying to find a bite to eat before I get on this next flight. And, uh, the next gate over beyond where I never walked, they got all these couches. (laughs) (laughs) I never, I was never smart enough to to really like explore the whole terminal and see (laughs) if, if there might be a better place to sleep. I was like, well, this is what you do when you sleep at the airport. You sleep on the floor.
2: So there you go, rough in yeah. an Anasazi way. Yeah, dude, I can
0: tell you. Last night, when I finally get home, I slept well. But but then, yeah, I, I had a nice four hour layover at LAX at the most crowded terminal I've ever seen. I mean, it was just one of those trips where that two hour tap in turned into a twenty four hour, you know, extravaganza, dude. It was unbelievable. But I'm back wow. and uh, got the week home. Before I get to go up to Thousand Islands and fish in Upstate New York for the next Bass Pro Tour, so I'm excited about that. But
2: um, that should be a good tournament, buddy. I bet you'll do good there.
0: I'm excited; it'll be fun, no matter what. But quite the quite the fun trip. Before we get too into the fishing, we've got uh, you know a couple weeks worth of listener feedback. So we've got some questions that we're saving for a and episode, but um, a couple things that were really appropriate for. Our last episode, when we were talking about night fishing, um, we had a listener write in. Our buddy, and uh, he had a good little hack. And he 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 had to had to mention that he hasn't done this himself, but he's heard of it being done. And uh, you know, we, apparently there are some nighttime fluorocarbons that are made. But if you have a, a fluorocarbon that you really like and you don't want to try a different brand or re-spool. He is saying that you can actually run your line through the uh, spike it, dip and die, chartreuse. And folks claim that that makes your line glow under blacklight. So, oh. and one thing you might, may not even have to run your entire line under it. Like you could do it in sections. You know, you may be uh-huh. five feet through and then t- take 10 feet off and then another five feet through and take 10 feet off. But that'll be an interesting one to play with it. It does make sense. I don't know how long that'll last, like how long that stays on your line, but it would be pretty cool to try it out. Have you guys I bet heard it that stays
2: one? a long time, man. Whenever you get that stuff on your fingers, you smell like garlic for six months, so I bet Good it point. lasts a long-ass time. Yeah, I think
1: you want to do that when you're not above your boat carpet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Good point. You guys won't believe this. You might actually believe it because it's deadly, but um, Cody Meyer, our buddy, was rooming with David Dudley a couple tournaments ago and they're in a nice VRBO. They're in Austin, Texas. It was at Lake Travis. And Dudley comes out dude with his clothes and all the sheets and bedspread spread for his bed in his hand. And, uh, Cody's like, what are you doing, dude? It's like the middle of the day. He's like, I had an accident, man. So he was, because we, at that point we weren't allowed to share baits or show each other like, Anything oh. tackle-wise, he was hiding in his room, <laughs> dip and dying base on his bed. And he spilled the entire thing all over the bed,
2: dude. <laughs> oh, you got to kill that with fire. It's the only way.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that was whatever the cost of that was it was added to their bill, I'm sure.
2: Oh, my god. It's gosh. nasty stuff.
1: So Okay, but- can,
2: you, can you guys hear what's behind me, or is that getting canceled out?
1: It's getting canceled.
2: Okay, thank God, because every morning here where we're staying, it's called Los Olivos. You know, and like in Mexico, everyone's super creative on how they make money. And there's not like any regulation compared to the United States. You need a license just to breathe there. And in Mexico, it's like if you have a will, there's a way. So, dude, every morning on the dot at like whatever it is here, like 1030. These two guys come walking down the street and one dude beats the piss out of a snare drum. And the other guy wears a mask and he like dances around for money. And that guy walks right by the street that we're staying on. and he, he was like seven feet away from me. I can't believe this is a, a good review for this headset because that's it canceled amazing. that. Because dude, it sounded like freaking Stevie Wonder. Well, he plays the piano. Whoever plays the drums really good, just like was hammering this snare drum right outside like of the game. Barker, gate. <laughs> yeah, dude, seriously, <laughs> Traviso Barkero, <laughs> dude, that's. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Those <laughs> headphones don't pick that up. We, you literally Dude, this sound is a like you
2: sitting in your office. Dude, five-star review. Well, I used to cold call people on these headphones, and there'd be like 15 of us in a tiny little shoebox trying to convince someone to sell us their house wearing these headsets, and no one could ever hear other ones. So I guess they are pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's so, Sorry funny. about that. Well, that's pretty funny that Dudley, uh, I, I bet they got a one-star review on their VRBO uh, um, account
0: probably so last hey, last and, and last story before we move on on this on vrbo's but um I, i'm sure a lot of our listeners also listen to bass TV or ike live and they know brian huh? the carpenter so brian was in dallas this past week with everybody and he shows up to the expo with this beautiful pair of like like kind of like maroon cowboy boots and did you guys see this? Did you happen to see? No. It? He's got this uh, beautiful pair of maroon cowboy boots. And he pulls up a bench and flips his foot up on the bench with a, a, a silver Sharpie. And he's like, let's get this going, dude. Can you sign this? So I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, no, I'm going to get everyone to sign this. Sign these boots. I'm like, "Are they? Uh, wh- have you had them for a long time? What, what are they for? He's like, they're not even mine, dude. I found them in the closet at my VRBO. No. Um, so they uh, they looked expensive and, and really nice, dude. And he walked around for two days getting everyone to sign these cowboy boots. And he was just going to wear them through the classic and then put them back <laughs> in the closet when he left. Oh, <laughs> Wow. Hopefully, they're fishing fans, whoever they're renting that house from. They may be banned off VRBO. can wow. no of They're probably and like one-off, like, ostrich, Merlot-tinted ostrich hide. They might be. Go go, follow Brian the Carpenter and look at these boots after – I mean, they are completely, completely destroyed. It's, it's all <laughs> just a bunch of uh, bass fishermen signatures all over these. Hey, you guys are a big cowboys. deal.
2: It's worthy. Increase the value, 10 cents. Golly, man! Yeah, that's ballsy. Ballsy move.
1: Is is my mic better? I'm so apprehensive on talking because it's so loud.
0: You sound great the way you're standing right now, but I I I think it's okay. Yeah, we've experienced this. The listeners know. Last episode, you sounded good again, but for some, uh, as always, we apologize, guys. We have no idea why it's been loud sometimes and why some. It's like it's
1: it's. Last time we were all on our regular location as soon as someone's remote it feels like it's huh. i don't know if that has anything yeah. to do with it but
2: it's pretty and i feel and i feel like i'm all caps remote right now yeah yeah you definitely yeah. are um okay so
0: that was that was one of our feedbacks here's another one and this is a, a question from patrick schaefer so today the classic was delayed two hours due to weather instead of extending the tournament by two hours they are going to end it on time I have no problem with them delaying the start time. Safety is important, but why not extend it for two hours? It's June in Texas. It does not get dark here until almost 8.45 p.m. This is supposed to be the greatest tournament in bass fishing, according to some. And you cut it short? If they cut the final nine holes out of the Masters, what, or he goes, what if they cut the final nine holes out of the Masters or the last two quarters of the Super Bowl? I think it's just a joke and would, be not, be, would not be happy if I fish that tournament. What are your opinions? rob's ready to
2: go yeah rob's cocked and loaded
1: i think it's completely different than a uh, sporting event that is uh, done by quarters or halves or holes or whatever you want it's just there's not a fisherman in that field that wants to fish two more hours in the afternoon um for a bunch of different reasons one it's 100 degrees there high humidity um every one of those fishermen wanted that two hours back in the morning, but they're not going to get it. Um, so you add it to the end and all of a sudden they're getting to bed at 10 o'clock on a normal day. Now they're getting to bed at midnight to get back out there the next day. It just doesn't work for fishing. And the amount of, uh, prep that these guys are doing after each day is it's unseen by the fans, but it's, I mean, you know, Josh, what those guys are doing. What you do, Uh, I don't. That's my take on it. I don't think it affects it at all.
0: That's the angler side, and that's I mean, that's huge. You're right, dude, because it does. It backs everything up. And I'll tell you, the guys that, the guys that needed that that were back up behind a little bit probably were more okay with would would have been more okay with sticking around. But the guys that were, you know, in or, or maybe especially the leader was like was was probably happy that it was it was cut short a little bit, but. But on the the other side of it that I think trumps everything is the production side. And I've seen it with all the tournaments I fish, like no matter what, it's a business, it's a a sporting event, it's a professional sporting event, and you need to keep the integrity of that as solid as possible. But you've gotta look at the money side of things and, and the production side of things. And I honestly, like probably the main priority is bass told everyone the weigh-in is going to be at this time at this arena and they got this many people coming to that weigh-in and if they push they cannot push that back two hours i mean that's the bottom line it's, it's like you know everything is is set up this way and it's it's got to be when they say it is go ahead rob
1: that's the difference between um the traditional weigh-in type tournament like Bassmasters versus mlf or or bass pro tour for that matter um I mean, you guys will have a delay, and they'll add it to the end of your day. Yep. I mean, but that's, that's it's a completely different deal because everything is. Um, I mean, it's it's just it's videotaped a lot. It keeps guys out there longer, which I'm sure is brutal. I mean, you've had some tournaments where you almost fish till dark in the summer. It's what eight o'clock at night, right?
0: Yeah. So, and and, and it is cool because I really appreciate what they're doing. They're trying to keep the integrity, of the actual trying to give the guys the time that, that they're supposed to get within the rules. Right. Um, so I I love that they, we did have one scenario, like that first year where we did fish till dark and it ended up being a little much for everyone because like, yeah, same thing. The boat officials were like, they, they didn't necessarily sign up to be out there till eight o'clock at night and then go back and sleep two hours and get up at four again. So what they're doing now is they have like a drop dead time where like the tournament is supposed to end at three. You have, say, a two-hour delay from fog, or from a lightning storm in the middle of the day. They're going to put that two hours back on at the end of the day, so you do get to full your fish your full time. But there is a drop dead time for those rare instances where you have crazy weather all day and you end up losing four hours. Like they're going to say, no matter what, five thirty is our drop dead time, and we have to be done by five thirty. So I think it's smart. It's yeah, I, I think it's a pretty cool compromise for you know, still making sure you take care of all the staff that, that is working the tournament and also the anglers that want to get their full time in. But I definitely get what, what Patrick's saying, you know, and, um, it is just mother nature and and we live fishing is is one of those compared to other sports where we're dealing with mother nature a lot more. And there are unfortunately more uncontrollable factors in our sport. Like, Dude, if you play, you know, if you ask LeBron James to play on a, you know, in, in an un in an environment that's not what he normally plays in, like that's a problem. But
2: mm-hmm. we,
0: that's what fishermen do every day. Every so, turn, I think a lot.
1: I think a lot of things are a problem for LeBron, but other than that, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Devin Booker's his new problem, dude. Exactly. Out out, suck on that, Lakers. All yeah. LA sports can suck it.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> You know what was interesting about the two-hour delay was uh, look at the weights on the second day. I mean, 90% of those fish had to be caught in the first couple hours. Yep,
0: they were dealing with shad spawn fish.
1: Oh, I mean, it was so evident how it just took dudes out. Like, you look at the weights. There was guys with 16 pounds the first day that weighed three or four pounds that second day you know and, and came back and caught more fish that last day. Well, they weren't even in it at that point cuz they didn't make the third day cut,
0: but they were relying on that early bite. That's yes. that's a tough that's and we've all been there. That's a really really bad situation as a as a as nerve-wracking scenario knowing that you're on an early bite or or knowing that you've got to make a ro- long run. Like I I've, I've experienced uh-huh. that a few times where you know that you might only be dealing with five hours of fishing time to begin with on a full day. And then you get a two hour fog delay. Now you got three hours to catch your fish and get back. It's, it's one of the most stressful things as a tournament fisherman is, is sitting through that delay.
1: Especially this time of year. I mean, shad spawn, early summer, even a summer bite. I mean, a lot of times that window is, is that, you know, first couple hours and it just makes a big big difference so
0: you're you're totally right i will tell you like and, and i don't know if this has ever happened to you man but i can recall one tournament we were at dardanelle in like 2014 i think and i had a lackluster first day i was like three four pounds out of the cut and i needed something to get i needed a shake up right because i was gonna have to catch like maybe like 20 pounds to get back into the cut which is a lot there And we have this monster fog delay, three plus hours. And the same thing happened. I'm like, dude, now I only need to catch like 15 to get back in the cut because the weights are going to drop a bunch. And it's going to be hard to catch 15 in that short amount of time. But my opportunity to come back just tripled. And sure enough, dude, I got a couple lucky bites. I caught like 16 pounds. I made it back in the cut and had a good tournament. Whereas like if I was like barely hanging on in the cut or even like way up, like you're stressed dude because your opportunity to give up that lead that you had worked to get is, is blown up.
2: I kind of, and I know you can't see me to raise my finger. So I'm glad I didn't cut anyone off, but as a completely inexperienced, just fan of it all, that might be one of my favorite things about competitive bass fishing is just dude, there are so many uncontrolled variables between weather and you know, fish changing and going back to like the basketball analogy or something like that, you know, guys might just be off that night and they just might not be, you know, they're, they're, they're not shooting 35% from the three point line They're shooting 15 and that's its own thing. But dude, in fishing, that just makes it so interesting. You got to put it together over three or four days. You got to overcome weather delays. You got to overcome. I mean, when you're the one at the end of four days with the most weight, that is, that's an accomplishment. Like I just that's that's pretty badass when you think about it, and so all the little nuances of the guy who has twenty on the first day and then gets raked by a, a you know a long fog delay. I said raked with a K. I promise there wasn't a P on that. <laughs> nice, yeah. Rob's laughing over here. That's I know. Good. I saw that's a good. smile light up. It was a K. Family <laughs> programming, but it's just it's really entertaining. And another thought I had too, going to Patrick's comment. I wonder. Um, as, as there's been this big fork in the road for the fans of competitive fishing between the, the weigh in tournament and the, you know, just the weigh in release style of MLF. I wonder, you know, if they pull all of the fans, which, uh, which group is bigger, you know, like, is it more fun to go and witness the fish, you know, live out of the back of a, you know, a boat trailer and they pick them up or the other, it's like, I, I could see the nuances of both being pretty interesting and, You know and and worth following so just a random thought i had i don't know if they've ever pulled and somebody has i'm sure there's statistics on that but uh, just an interesting thought
0: the
1: the excitement of the weigh-in to me is not as great as it used to be because now you have bass track and you have an idea
2: Uh, ah it's it's already kind of took the cat out of the bag right
1: yeah I, i don't know i mean i like bass track but i I, I don't because it's one, it's not hundred percent accurate and two, like, you have a it pretty good a idea. Surprise. Yeah. It takes the surprise away. So, you know, with, with the Bass Pro Tour, it's hundred percent accurate, you know, one soon as the, you know, as soon as the time's up, it's done, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: so they're both cool. And, and every, I think it, after three years, everyone knows that they both have their place and, right. um, you know, talking to a lot of the fans, At the last week's event, like, you know, a lot of, a ton of people are like, hey, man, we love watching, we love watching MLF, blah, 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 you know. And then there's still always a couple that are like, oh, man, wish you, (laughs) wish you guys were, would have a way in, you know. But ultimately, Uh it's, uh, I think everyone's settling in and and the two fans just love to watch fishing, period. Exactly. Exactly. If,
1: if, if I were to choose what circuit I could fish at that level, like if I just someone said, okay, you can do this or that. Competitive wise, I think I would be better off with five fish. And just uh-huh. what Josh is doing is very, very difficult. I mean, it's amazing how to win a Bass Pro Tour event or even place high in it, you have to ultimately win three tournaments. I mean, yep. you're, <laughs> you're you got to win a two day tournament just to get into the three day tournament, you got to win uh-huh. that darn near win that tournament to get into the last tournament. You understand what I'm yeah. saying? It's <laughs> when it's guys win either. those deals, uh, man. They've done something. It's it's incredible. Like you'd, it, I don't know. It's just impressive to me how when it's you watch harder. them. I mean,
0: dude, it's harder. It's hard to catch a big fish, but dude, to to be able to absolutely black because you gotta you gotta look at the field and how how stacked the field is. Yep to make, just to make that first cut, you've got to absolutely blast them and you can't do it on one spot. I mean, every spots dry up so fast and with a five fish tournament, you know, a spot can carry you. If you only have to pull five fish off of it, dude, you know, you can, it can carry you through a tournament sometimes, but it'll barely carry you through a period and uh, every fish counts, right? And you've got to keep finding more, 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 more. And the conditions are changing. And like in last week's tournament, I had a I had a great event going. I was in third place after the elimination round after two days, and uh, had a spot all to myself. But you don't know who in the other group is fishing that spot. <laughs> guess guess who pulls up at the same same time as I do on the on the uh, knockout round? Jordan Lee. We both got <laughs> in the same spot. So he had been blasting him for two days. I had been catching him for two days, and uh, the school had ended up leave, leaving anyways. But that's a factor. It's just like okay, you get to that knockout round and. Who are you now who's have to there? Deal with now on 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 what you're what you're fishing, right? So and then the weights are reset. So I go out that day and and that school's gone. I get into a bad rotation. Now I'm thirty third, which is still fine. But like, dude, I was in third place. I had a, a big weight cushion over you know thirty third place, and yeah. that's wiped clean. So and, and like a lot of people are like, man, don't you do you not like that? It's like, of course it sucked for me that day. But dude, if I would have brought the heat and brought my A game that day, I would have done better and I didn't. So go ahead, Ralph. Mm-hmm.
1: So just to get a little inside thought on, on what took place in that tournament with you, the first day you caught them really good. Uh, the second day you, you caught them really good early. Um, and then all of a sudden you tapered off, but that had to be you just calling it and going and and going and, and pre-fishing essentially. Right?
0: Yeah. You know, I, so, everyone knows the winner of that elimination round automatically makes the championship day first place out of the 40 guys. So I was sitting in third and I was actually relatively close to first who was Shiniki Fukai, but the, the kind of knowing what was going on out there, like I was, as long as I was within 10 pounds, I was going to keep trying to catch him because that's two bites, right? And if you, you can catch two bites real quick on a lake like that. Um, But if he got, to where he was really pulling away. I wasn't gonna sit there and continue beating up the fish that I needed to use the next day. And that was a big factor. I mean, you sit there and have and and catch 20 or 30 fish off of a spot and not even win the round, you finish second or third, you just wasted all those fish. So, but the other factor was I knew where Shin was fishing and uh, I was fishing like a quarter mile from him and he was on the most prolific spot on the entire lake. I was fishing a pretty good school of fish but it was like a secondary Creek channel mouth of a secondary Creek channel. He was Mm -hmm. fishing the Mm -hmm. main channel that runs into the best spawning Bay on the entire Lake. And Mm -hmm. there were, where he was at, like the weights weren't that different, but where he was at, there were five times more fish. And I was like, Mm -hmm. man, he can do this and he can get away Mm -hmm. with it. And as he slowly pulled away, I was like, dude, I'm done. I'm not going to, because the odds of, of, even though like it might've looked like on the outset, I wasn't that far away. Like the odds of keeping up, Especially late. He could keep catching them all day. And mine was more of a morning deal. I was like, I better go go idling and looking. So that's what I mm-hmm. did for the rest of the day.
1: And what I mean, what you literally just stopped fishing, right? You were just idling and graphing yeah. and
0: yeah, so I was just doing side view on my garments all day after that, looking for uh, you know, looking for more schools of fish. And I found one school of fish that helped. There weren't that many groups out yet. You know, it was early summer and there were maybe 10 really prolific schools on the whole lake. And I, you know, everyone had found those, every single dude. Like, I, I would be so curious to see how many guys had the waypoints on those 10 <laughs> fish that fish yeah. offshore. I bet most.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. What time of day was
1: that when you pulled the plug on fishing? It
0: was like the middle of the second period, actually. Okay. Um, Yeah. So it, it would have been fun to keep catching them. And you could see it just watching them on live scope. You know, the, the school was starting to break up. Like, both of the first two mornings, I'd pull up with a dredger and catch. Literally both mornings, of my first four casts, I caught good ones. Nice.
1: Um, Talk then, about uh, that a little bit. Talk about the – I mean, we watched gross. Van Dam absolutely trash him. I mean, he was reeling that bait as fast as he possibly could, and I'm assuming you were doing the same. Talk yeah, about that a little bit.
0: It's almost, it's almost silly to watch how fast dudes reel their crankbaits on the Tennessee River in the summer, and um, the first time I saw that, years ago i was like what is that guy doing you know but if you just cast it these these fish are highly pressured and you really need to make them react and it's it's that way on any pressured lake in the country when you're deep cranking you get that water temp over like 75 into the low 80s it'll blow your mind how fast you can reel a crankbait and catch it but we talked about a you know we did it there so wherever you guys are fishing around the country try i mean try to get out of that Typical retrieve you use with your deep crankbaits, and I mean burn them. Go to the next, speed up your ratio wise, and reel them as fast as you can. And that's what, you know, if you can't really do that if you're fishing around, fishing them through trees and stuff like that, because you're just gonna reel them right into the snags. But if you got a smooth bottom, or even a grass bottom where you can just rip it, you know, you're not gonna get fouled up. Burning that thing as fast as you can can trigger those fish, and and you'll see it. Like, and we all watched it with Van Dam. That school of fish was there the whole time but it was hard to get him going. Right. But you catch one and they're like, Ooh, he just ate a piece of pizza. I want a piece of pizza. And then he gets <laughs> a piece of pizza. And the next guy's like, I want a piece of pizza too. And now all of a sudden you just catch from every cast until finally, you know, what'll happen too is like, especially with our deal, right. You got to throw them back. So, so then they go down and say that they pizza go back sucks. into the school. And they're like, dude, it's not pizza. <laughs> <laughs> There's the name of this episode. Dude, it's uh, happy, yeah, so. there you go. yeah And they stopped biting, right? So uh but but like that's what had happened is he he would catch three, four, five in a row. And he got you know that one flurry where he just iced everyone down where he caught it was pretty epic to watch. I mean, just watching the king of bass fishing do what he's the very best at. It's been a little while since we've seen it. It was awesome. So it's cool to see it. Yeah. Yeah, he got
1: uh he got pretty emotional. It was uh, it was pretty cool to watch. So
0: it was. Hey, you could tell it meant probably more than a lot of his other wins.
1: I think it did because he was talking about some uh, health problems with his parents and stuff and uh-huh. uh, kind of dedicated it to his dad, which was, I mean, uh, it was just awesome watching him do what he did. So, Yeah,
2: well, props to him, man. One thing I saw too, man, you caught, Josh, you caught a, a big, old, nasty fish. I don't remember if that was your first day or second day, but you had it all up on your socials. I love seeing fish like that, dude. Like those fish just – i and it's stupid and cheesy, but, man, they just jacked me up. Its tail was all chewed up. That fish had been through the ringer, man. If it could talk, you'd love to hear the stories it could tell.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a seven even, and I caught it on a crankbait, a dredger, and uh, it was a post-spawn fish, so it was very long and, and kind of lean. Its tail was it all tired from spawning, and it just was, dude. It had those big old marble eyeballs. Um, just <laughs> yeah. a big old nasty fish they are special go ahead what's brother. that fish what's that fish
1: way before the spawn
0: i don't know you know i don't really know what a stomach adds but probably eight right at least yeah yeah i just so.
1: i heard i heard one guy's like adding three pounds to it he's nice. like not not your fish but one he's like oh but look at this post-spawn fish it had been like it was like a six he's like that have been a nine that's, a month ago yeah. i'm like i don't think so
0: that's hilarious well <laughs> dude and hey uh this is the last thing I'll say on this event and we'll move on. But uh, that two pound minimum, like, you know, I know uh, I'm sure our listeners are not the ones that are out there saying little fish. I don't want to, these guys catch little fish, dude. It was a two pound minimum and it was post spawn. You guys know what a skinny two pounder, how long that thing is. It was 17 inch fish that I was throwing back, man. There's no tournament on the planet where 17 is not a keeper. It was so frustrating. Like, Dude, we were catching so many fish that, like, you would just years before this, and I'm guilty too. Like, years past, I'd have been like, dude, I caught like 42 pounders today. I did yep. not catch 42 pounders. Like, <laughs> it was it was three. incredible <laughs> to catch a 16 and a half, 17 inch fish that would did not even help you. It was, uh,
1: yeah, that's nuts. Frustrating.
0: But, uh, okay. So, Nick, dude, we got to hear about your trip, man. We saw uh, some of these pictures. Some people saw them on social media of these rooster fish that you caught. Um, Break it down, man. Tell us about uh, how that
2: trip went. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, it was it was everything I hoped it would be. You know, sometimes when you do um, weird exotic trips and you don't know the location you're going and you're not overly familiar with what you're, you know, the fish you're trying to catch and everything, you do a bunch of research on the internet and you try and get your tackle prepared. I've had a lot of those in my life where uh, they just don't go very well. You know, something's just off either your preparation was wrong or the spot ends up sucking all the excuses. And uh, this one wasn't one of those, man. It was, it was just wonderful. Like I, I had reached into the network of fishing friends and got hooked up with a guide who uh, was, he was on them and super knowledgeable and it was pretty cool. It was him and his son and his son was in his like mid twenties. And the guide was in probably like his early fifties. So you could tell like the, the, the old man was passionate about it and had really learned and kind of created a little thing down there for those fish specifically. And then he was, he was passing it on to his son. So that aspect of it was really enjoyable. You know, you could see his son had the passion and, um, it was just cool, man. I, I, I wanted to do it only with a fly rod and so that added a lot of challenge because I'm not a good fly fisherman and uh, I'm I'm rusty and uh, so I had really limited success only because of my own shortcomings with it and uh, so the morning of obviously I I was hoping I'd get two days but I ended up only getting one day just because the dynamics of our trip you know there's 23 of us in this Airbnb And 14 of them were kids. So needless to say, there was a lot of uh, caregiving going on back at home base. So sneaking away for two days was maybe going to happen, and it didn't. So the first morning, that anticipation and all the excitement was like 15 out of 10 on the scale, right? I mean, it was just like I was amped. You're like, thank God. Dude, I was just like, man. So it was cool, and uh, we had a long run. We 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 spent about an hour and ten minutes running to where it was going to happen. What kind of boat? So it's pretty cool. It's like a twenty six footer, and uh, dude, I asked him about it, and like you know, just good old fashioned Mexican ingenuity. They they take what they've got and they make it work. And it was a uh, it was kind of like a hybrid of a cabin cruiser with like a front deck, and then on top of the cabin was where the the mate would actually bomb out this two and a quarter ounce spoon. So you're fishing probably like I'd say a hundred yards off the bank, off the beach. And he would bomb this two and a quarter ounce spoon all the way to basically where the waves are hitting the beach. And then he, he high sticks the rod and he reels that spoon as fast as he can. So it's just bouncing across the surface through the waves, making all sorts of commotion. And then dude, when it's on you see this fish, behind it and it's thrashing and attacking the spoon and he's teasing it just making this big you know 10 to 70 pound fish just as angry as it can be because it can't catch the spoon and he's ripping it back at Mach three and then he starts saying he's coming he's coming he's coming and then it's your time to shine baby you got to make the cast land in the two foot radius as this thing's coming at you at Mach 3, and then you got to strip for everything you're worth with a topwater popper to try and trick the rooster into eating that instead of the spoon. Because when your fly lands, boom, he rips the spoon out of there. So this big angry fish spends five seconds swimming in a circle trying to figure out what happened before it's smart enough to swim away. Did I swear these fish are smarter than 95% of the humans on the planet. You would think they're pressured for how smart they are. They have great eyesight. They're they're apex predators in their ecosystem. So needless to say, like you're joking, Rob, the pressure was uh, pretty high and you know, you're trying to make a, you're trying to make a 60 to 80 foot cast as accurate as possible and then strip the fly fast enough, kind of like KVD with his crankbait, you know, that fish is angry. So if something just lands and it looks stupid, it knows it's off. Like it's, it's triggered. So I had at least 30 shots. And I ended up catching two. (laughs) Tells you how bad I was. Dude, I I don't think think that's abnormal.
0: I'm no expert, but I'm sure that's pretty normal, right?
2: Yeah, thanks. So what you do normally, you book them for four days. And then you suck majorly for three and a half days. And then if you're lucky, on the afternoon of the fourth day, it all comes together, and then you make it happen. And I was kicking myself Um, the first day, dude. Oh, my goodness. About halfway through my 30 shots, he called up a wolf pack of the biggest roosters they'd seen in a very long time. There was this wolf pack of three roosters, all of them over 60. And dude, I can close my eyes and still see these three Leviathans just smashing the surface. They're, you know, and they have that crazy dorsal fin, like a comb of a rooster. That's why they're called that. And those things go straight up. They're erect and they're just zigzagging and thrashing. And dude, I dropped the cash right in there. And then with a fly rod, you know, you got to, you, you, you pull the line with your left hand and you hold the rod with your right. And as I stripped, dude, he smoked it and you got to set the hook as hard as you can. So you pinch the line on the rod with your right hand and then you yank with your left hand as hard as you can to bury the hook. And dude, I just, I effed it up, man. I just didn't set the hook and he got away. And it was, I mean, it was definitely the fish of a lifetime. So it was painful to miss that. But I ended up catching one that was, pretty good. It was probably like somewhere in the 15 to 20 pound mark. And, uh, I just put a video up on it. So I hooked that fish on my eight weight. I brought an eight weight and a 10 weight rod and the eight weight was so much easier for me to handle that 10 weight is a pool cue. And you're trying to throw that line to that. I just, I sucked. And there's plenty of fly fishermen in the world that can cast a 10 weight, super far, super accurate all day long. It's not me. And so on that big fish with the eight weight, like a dumbass, I high sticked it and broke the rod so then I had to switch over to the 10 weight and then I was just I was like shooting left-handed after that I was not as as good with it but man it was it was something else dude I'll tell you go ahead Rob
1: what are they do they guide a lot of fly fishermen or do they spin cast do they bait fish what are they what do they normally do
2: So kind of, you know, as all fishing guides across the world can relate to, they try to make sure the client has a good time. And so I'd say probably a third to a half of their clients are dedicated fly fishermen who are prepared to catch nothing, suck miserably and still be happy. And then you have clients who expect to catch 60 pounders and be heroes. And for those clients, you know, you can tell like, so the mate and I are up on the front of the boat doing our thing, trying to tease them and make it happen. And I noticed right out of the gate, like they bought six or eight live huge ass, like sardines or like 10, 12 inch bait, you know, fish, live bait. And we would tease up a good one and I'd f it up like I always was. And I'd see the, the captain who's running. So it's a tiller and they don't have a steering wheel, right? So it's a tiller 60 horse forest trope. And uh, the guy, the guy, the captain in the back, he'd throw a, a little octopus hook through the nose of a bait and then he'd just pitch it out the back and open the spool of the rod. And then, of course, whenever he did that, about seven minutes later, he closed the bale on the spinning reel and hand the rod to my wife's cousin who came along. Oh, and nice! Dude, he caught a giant, and uh, so so you know what I mean. They have it covered, right? And hey, like, so if he, I he
0: went back and he was the hero, he caught the big one, dude.
2: Dude, so I don't want to roll him under the bus, but <laughs> allow me to roll him under the bus for the next three minutes, and please bro, don't, don't think gonna any do, bro, dude, don't think any less of me. But so this guy's never fished in his life, right? <laughs> and, uh, so you, what's the first question that non-fishermen ask you, especially when you're going bass fishing or like in this case, rooster fishing for like a very desirable species. What's the first question they ask you? Can you eat them? Exactly. So I'm trying to explain why we don't keep rooster fish and he's looking at me, you know, he speaks 20% English and I speak 40% Spanish. So in this language barrier, I'm trying to explain, you know, conservation practices you know, specialty fish. And he's looking at me like I'm the dumbest person he's ever encountered. Like, why would you do this and not keep them? So that was the first, you know, stumbling block we had. Then we're running out to the spot and, you know, we're not offshore, but the waves are big down there. That's a, that's a pretty big ocean. And right out of the gate, I could tell, I was like, I'm going to take Dramamine because I'm going to get sick if I don't. Cause like, Hey bro, like take this like oh no you know he's kind of got that macho vibe going on like I got this like all right I know how this goes so he didn't take the medicine and then you know 45 minutes into the day he caught the first one on bait and uh he was jacked and uh, rightfully so and then he was you know he's like all about trying to go live on Facebook to to show the homies what was going on and uh <laughs> Dude, so I'm laughing at myself thinking, like, there's plenty of time at the end of the day, dude, like, let's just fish. And so he's on his phone, and then I look at him, and he's looking a little weird. He shuts his phone off and proceeds to puke for, like, 15 minutes, dude. He's oh. just blowing chunks. And I had loaned him a PFG, like, hoodie fishing shirt, you know, that I was going to give to the guy who's coming with me to uh, Backerack next week. He puked all over the shirt. He's just puking his brains out. And then he just proceeds to take a three-and-a-half-hour nap on on my precious second torta. That was the tragic end. Oh. Of my, dude, he passed out on my torta. So, like, he, did, he smushed it flat as a pancake. So, it's all good. So, you know, he, he wakes up and catches one more he caught a Jack the second time. And so luckily we compromised on, we'd keep all the Jack Craval we caught because they're not, even though they're every bit as awesome of a fish, they just, they don't get any of the respect. You are the Rodney danger field of saltwater fishing. They're always there for you. They fight hard. They're badass, and everyone hates them. Dude, you'd hook a Jack. Like I caught two or three Jacks and two roosters and you'd hook a Jack. And I'd be like, mother ever. Like I finally set the hook and it's a Jack. And yet this fish is like awesome. Right? So. So he caught a couple more jacks to keep and eat. Of course, we get back to the the house, and then the story is all week is that he's like, he outfished me and he had it all going on and did he caught him on bait. Exactly. Peeped all yeah. over my shirt and flattened my sandwich, but it's all good. I'm not Nick, bitter. I don't fisherman. sound bitter, do I?
0: What the heck? How come
2: Dude, that was you, dude? exactly what it was. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm just like,
1: all right. That's just proof the newbie's always easier to guide than the guy's setting his ways and wants to catch him in a certain way, you know.
2: Dude, you know that captain's like after I bombed those sixty pounders, he's like, <laughs> if if you would have just let me use bait, bro, <laughs> you would have. Well, and even you know, so they're, they're the teasing setup with that big ass spoon is it's on a you know it's just on a big spinning reel with forty pound braid, and so as I started to second guess my ineptitude with a fly rod, I was like, dude, if I just put a hook. On that spoon, I can bomb a spoon a hundred yards into the surf and reel it as fast as I can. I would have got like fifty of them. I started thinking that I was like, "Why am I making this so hard? Like, I could just be a hero right now and do that." But it's all good. I had a great time.
0: Sounds amazing. That so that
2: rooster fish dude. It's got to be at the very top of your favorites as far as fish go. It's pretty exciting, man. Like I, I it is at the top, right there at the top. And and you know, like you just. I don't know. I had equated to like, maybe like a buzzbait bait blow up, you know, like the anticipation is so high, but the difference is it's like a buzzbait bait blow up where you see the V wake of a seven pounder swimming for like 45 seconds before it eats it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just that when it's time and like, cause usually they're right up on the, where the waves are crashing, but you don't want to put the boat there because the waves are going to put the boat up on the beach. So you're trying to tease them that far. So you have to watch those big angry fish chase that spoon for like 15 to 30 seconds before it's your time to shine. There's nothing better than that, man. Like it's so exciting. And then they fight hard. You know, it's a five to 10 minute fight where you're, you know, they take all the line off your reel and then you have to get it back inch by inch. It's, it's fun. Ask your eight weight Yeah,
0: in that video. Everyone started laughing. I was like, Whoa, those are some cool guides, man. They don't even care that he
2: broke their rod, but it was your rod. Oh, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the guy, you know, didn't speak a ton of English and I speak not a ton of Spanish and so but you can eye contact is everything. And his eyes were just full of like, you're an idiot. And I yeah, yeah, it was like, dude, everything went wrong, right? So I show up and I show him my setup and he's like, Is this forty pound? And I was like, It's thirty five because of COVID, you can't get anything now. Everything's out of stock. So I only had thirty five. He's like, You need forty. What's the difference there, dude? That's what I thought. And he had 40 and I was shy to be like, well, I'm going to use yours. And I was like, we'll be fine. So the first one I caught, no problem. And then I broke my rod on the second one. And then after that, dude, I was on my 10 weight with 35 pounds. And I just having so much difficulty holding the rod and set the hook on that 10 weight. So that when I finally, dude, I, I fed the fish and I set the hook hard into a good one too. I mean, it was like, it was bigger than the one I caught. I had that fish on for about five seconds and then the line broke and it came back. And this was haunting me for a long time. I was like, I can't believe because the line came back curled. So what does that mean? That's usually a knot. Not failure. And he looked at me and he's like, it's because you use 35. And in my mind, I was like, well, I tied that fly on anyways. It is what it is. And then I thought, I was like, oh, wait, I switched flies when I broke my eight to the ten. I wish I, I want to rub it in his face and be like, bro, that was not failure. Learn how to tie a better knot. He tied the knot. You bet, dude. So it's all good. It was still my fault. Like I uh, should have caught the fish and it just is what it is. But you know, you just, you kick yourself. You travel that far. You bring all that crap through customs. You lug it around 3000 miles and then you just have epic failure. I just, I felt like I was fishing for the Barnum and Bailey's clown team dude everything i did was wrong dude still had a great time that's such a
0: it's such a different fishing scenario that there's no way you could practice it and be fresh at it like you said it that's that makes sense that you do it for a few days in a row and then you know finally it starts to 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 get a little bit easier towards the end of your trip it's right sounds like it's
2: almost impossible to go in there and, and and be an expert the first day yeah and so you just set your expectations for that and then you just appreciate what you have and it was it was epic, man. They're just, they're fun. And, uh, it's off to back rack now. So hopefully I don't suck Jeez. as bad at back rack. It's going to be so sick.
1: Did you bring, did you bring tackle for back rack also?
2: I did. Yeah. So I, I have quite a bit of my own stuff for back rack. So I didn't cool. bring a rod cause I couldn't, I figured I didn't want to repeat the whole, you know, meth in the glue of my PVC pipe fiasco. Like I did it. You know, when I went to Oviatchik, so I'm borrowing a rod, but I got my reels and all my all my other tackles, so should be good. Cool. So I had to find a new way to bring my meth to Mexico. It's a shame.
0: Well, um, dude, I can't wait to hear about backrack. What day are you going?
2: Uh, I leave Thursday, so two days. Cool. Heck yeah! Ah, oh, it's coming yeah, right nice. up. That's gonna be awesome, man. And how many days are you fishing? I get to fish two and a half days there, wow. so I'm a lucky sob. That's for sure. Heck yeah! Well, we all are excited to hear
0: about it. Uh, we I, I ran into one of our buddies and listeners at uh, at uh, the show this past week, and uh, we missed our our episode last week, and that was my fault. I you know I was in the middle of the tournament. and I just had you all heard. I had just a a very very busy week with fishing and travel, so it was my fault we didn't record. But he's like, did you not record? Because Nick is missing, or is is Nick uh, <laughs> is Nick still alive down there, or what? So I think everyone's going to be glad that you're still alive for at least one more week. And uh, hopefully (laughs) tell another awesome Mexico story next week, bro.
2: Hey man, fingers crossed. The life insurance policies are still paid up in full. So anything's (laughs) possible. Let me tell you one more quick story and then we'll wrap. I forgot to tell you, this is so funny. So where we stayed was just, you know, I told you there's 23, 24 of us. So we rented a big, nice house and uh, we were just having the time of our lives, but. That part of uh, Mexico is jungle, dude. I'll send you pictures of where, you know, it was a seven hour ride to get there. And I mean, we're just traversing through rainforest essentially. And, uh, we went over a bunch of big rivers that flowed into big, beautiful reservoirs that have bass in them dude, and it's then gotta those are be beautiful. Oh, it's just, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. I don't think the United States has it, you know what I mean? It's just, and what's cool is, is that it's, it's very virgin. Much of that is undeveloped and as it's been for the last 10,000 years since the last ice age. And so it's so pretty, man. And then, so what happens is, is we're fishing the, um, the mouth of a river that flows during the rainy season and it's every bit of as wide as a mile wide where that inlet dumps into the ocean. So it gives you an idea this drainage is just like, and this is just one of several along the coast, you know? So this is just like the drain of Western Mexico. And uh, so needless to say, where we're staying is, is it's very jungly. We got this beautiful house, but it's like bugs by the millions, bats by the millions at night. I mean, a, the ecosystem is just alive. And so the first night we have a, a snake encounter, and this is a big four foot, oh. big old snake. Guess whose room that snake went to? It's in what? the house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It no. went to the big macho guy who smashed my sandwich, right? So he got <laughs> to like butcher the snake and have his little embarrassing moment of being scared like a little girl. Then the second four foot snake, guess where that one showed up? In the laundry room while people were washing their stuff. So that one got chopped up into small pieces. So we're all a little bit on edge, dude. Like it's, there's snakes, there's, they have, dude, they have jaguars, pumas, mountain lions. I mean, this is like, this is just the rainforest, right? So we're all getting accustomed to just like, you know, you look at things before you put your foot in a shoe and stuff like that. Every afternoon, you know, as the sun starts to get low, crabs would emerge by the thousands. And from everything from like a hermit crab, the size of a dime up until one, the size of maybe like a big one to be like the palm of your hand. So the third night we're there, I've, had a, I've had a couple of Modelo's and I'm feeling good and I'm just hanging out and my daughter is across our little casita of this house is across the way probably a hundred yards and all of a sudden you know she's an eight year old girl she's so cute she's like paralyzed by fear of being naked in front of someone so needless to say when she takes a shower like she doesn't let anyone see her she's like got this whole thing so the doors of our casita swing open and she's hysterically crying, screaming, covering herself naked. She's like ballistic. I'm like, what in the heck? So we all go over there and she's like hysterically yelling. We can't understand. She finally spits out. There's a crab in the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Like these crabs are tiny. Why are you being such a wimp? Like no big deal, dude. So she was getting ready to use the toilet. And I look in there and this thing is the size of a frying pan. And it's got big, hairy legs. Its pincher is the size of a pair of, like, um, pipe wrench pliers, dude. Like, massive. <laughs> she tried to sit down on the toilet, and this huge, hairy crab was right by her foot. and She lost her mind. And a rodeo ensued for, like, 10 minutes as we tried to catch this thing in a trash can and then shoo it out the door. But I was like, okay. It even scared me. I don't like spiders. And, you know, crab is basically an ocean spider it had big hairy legs on it and she was just crying and scared. And then we were all kind of like, Whoa, but it was tense, dude. Could you imagine sitting down to uh, use the restroom and then that crab give you a little nibble on the back of your ankle? Dude,
0: The fact that all that stuff makes it into the house goes to show how much it is really out there. I've never heard anything like that, man.
2: It was amazing. It was a true experience.
0: Wow. Still, I'm, I'm sure it was still awesome, but that is crazy! Holy smokes! Pretty it just cool. made it more fun, you know. You're just seeing all the stuff, so. Woo! I love it, dude. I think that's a great way to end this one. Honestly, man. Um, thanks for sharing the stories. I think that. Do you have anything else, Rob?
1: Yeah, right nothing. i right right <laughs> <on>. Well,
2: <laughs> good to uh, know yeah, everyone yeah. that Nick has crabs. So yes, yeah. lots Rob of them, big ones. <laughs> <laughs> bob and i this week are gonna gonna watch the azd backs
0: try to uh try to up their record from uh 20 and 48 to 21 and 48 so yeah um,
1: it's a struggle fest huh
0: yeah nick i hope you enjoy uh you know your your fishing next week i can't wait to talk about it and uh, listeners as always thank you very much we're uh you know we're gonna get back on schedule you know we we have no plans of of doing anything but every week but it's just been a wild couple weeks so um We'll be back at you next week. We've got some guests lined up, and we'll, uh, we'll keep bringing them. But thank, thank you all for continuing to listen, send the feedback in, and uh, we will, we'll be back at you soon. Have a great one, guys.